Welcome to the fifth edition of Talking Games with Reggie and Harold. We hope you're staying well and staying safe in these challenging times. As you add your voice against racism and social injustice, we salute your efforts to create positive change in America. At the New York Video Game Critics Circle, we're trying to change things as well through the mentoring of homeless and other underserved students. Please take time to donate at nygamecritics.com slash Reggie to support these efforts. Today on the podcast, we're talking esports with Jack Etienne, the CEO of Cloud9, one of the most important teams in the world today. Jack has taken Cloud9 and its exciting League of Legends team to great success and over a $300 million valuation from Wall Street. Reggie, I first met Jack when Cloud9 was a relatively small entity. I was able to travel the world for a Playboy cover story on Cloud9 and its first successful League of Legends team. From California to Seattle to Paris to Seoul, through their ups and downs, and over the course of nearly a year, I got to know Jack and the original team. I wrote a book about esports called The League of Legends Experience, which is a colorful snapshot of the era. It was exactly the right time to write about esports because it was exploding from a counterculture movement to a mainstream sport. You know, the rise of esports has really been fascinating to watch. The esports landscape is currently valued at a billion dollars, five times larger than it was in 2014, and it's projected to continue similar aggressive growth. There are a variety of companies in the business, each taking a different approach. Cloud9 believes in fielding teams across a range of games and competing with great athletes. And now, here's our interview with Jackie Chen. Jack, great to have you on our podcast. And to begin, maybe we should start with the origin story for Cloud9 and how you entered the esports business. Sure. So shortly before Cloud9 was founded by myself and my wife, I was running the ad sales division for Crunchyroll, which is an online anime streaming service. In my free time, I was helping an esports organization named uh, TSM. And I was their general manager, like uh, I, I had the general manager role and I also did ad sales for them, just helping them just kind of stay afloat. And it was really more of a, a passion and fun thing for me. It was my introduction to esports and watching it really grow. And at the same time, all that is going on. I was also heavily involved in running a guild, which is a group of people who, in a game called World of Warcraft and competitively taking down objectives in that game. And so I personally was really interested in video games and, and playing them. I also helped manage a large esports organization. And that was all like side, fun, hobby, passion stuff for me. But my day-to-day -day job was running a, a sales team for Crunchyroll. 
I saw an opportunity to pick up the guys that I first signed for Cloud9. And I think like the reason, you know, I was happy being a big part of TSM and running Crunchyroll, but I saw a lot of opportunities to expand outside of League of Legends. And the ownership of TSM was really focused on League of Legends and nothing else. And so I saw all these opportunities. And when I brought them up to TSM, they weren't really interested in doing it. But for me, I, I just loved competitive sports. And I saw all these different games that were growing. And I thought, hey, you know, the only way I'm ever going to be able to really kind of pursue all these things I'd like to get involved in is be running my own team. So I started thinking about like, how would I do this? How would, how would I make my own team? And I actually started looking to, and I did invest and buy the second place League of Legends team in the LCS, a team called Good Game University, and started going through the process of onboarding those guys, making a new brand. And, and that was going to be my uh, initial play into my own founding of a team. As it turns out how, you know, when you acquire things, sometimes the employees or the people are involved, they have a whole nother idea of how they want to run things. And the guys that I hired and the team that I bought, they wanted to go another way. They wanted to work with another owner that was looking to get involved in this space. And so I was really struggling then getting them to be excited about what I was looking to build. And so while I was struggling, I was introduced to High. He was playing for another team. They had just qualified for the LCS. He had the opportunity to leave that team, but he wanted to work with someone who is a really good management group because he hadn't had really good managers in his past. And so he thought, hey, Jack, I heard you're looking for a team. I love the stuff you're doing with TSM. You know, would you consider making an organization for me to play for? You know, so I had the situation where I've got five guys who were really not happy about what I was looking to build and they wanted to work with somebody else. It wasn't necessarily, it wasn't a personal thing with me, but they really wanted to work with somebody else. And I had High, who I saw his team when I was helping run TSM. I saw practices of High's team versus my team and I knew how good his team was and, and that they're, they're, you know, that they had a really strong future ahead of them. So I saw an opportunity to just go ahead and sell the team that I had bought, GGU, to this person that really wanted to get involved into LCS and the players wanted to play for them and also acquire High and his team, which I thought was going to be an equally really good team. It seemed like a win-win for everybody. So I sold GGU. The, I bought the contracts for these players. And then at that point, I needed to come up with a name for the team. I had my own branding that I had kind of set aside that I was I was really thinking was good. But High, being who he is, he really wanted to name the team Cloud9. And so we put it to a vote. High and Lemonation and Balls voted for Cloud9. Me and Medios and Sneaky voted for my brand. And High being the, the you know, the awesome guy he is, he's like, well, I'm team captain, so I get to be the tiebreaker and we're going to go with Cloud9. And I just... And I just laughed. I'm like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> um, we'll go with Cloud9. Jack, I, I actually first met you in Paris at the League of Legends All-Star event there. And I, I was writing about Cloud9. I remember. Yeah, yeah, I was writing about Cloud9. With no high after the lung collapse, I remember. That's right. That's right. It was drama from the beginning of that story. And um, I guess one of the questions I have is how have things changed with Cloud9 since then? It's been years. So what have you learned? How has the team evolved? So that time at that event was about one month after, I don't know if I, know if I mentioned it in the interview, I had just quit my job at Crunchyroll and I decided it was time to focus full-time and go step away from Crunchyroll and focus on, on Cloud9 full-time. And literally the week after I put in my resignation, high as lung collapsed. So as you can imagine for me, you know, I, I have a young daughter, 
married, got a, got a mortgage. I put all my eggs into this one basket and my team captain's lung collapses. And it was terrifying. It was terrifying because, you know, worried about my player because I'm worried about his health. I'm also terrified for my family. I think one of the big transitions that's gone on from that point to now is when I started the team, it was just me and those five guys. I wasn't really... I would say in charge, I, I obviously I was at the end of the day, I was in charge of the team, but a lot of the direction and a lot of the mindset of the team was coming from high um, and from the players as well. To be frank, like is only this current iteration of cloud nine, this spring of 2020. And really the, the time it actually took place was shortly after worlds of 2019 did the last player from that group of five leave the team with sneaky leaving the team i cemented the mindset and expectation and goals completely for the team without any of the original guys like input there was a mentality shift specifically for the lcs team that beyond the lcs team there's a lot of stuff to talk about i mean like when i bought out those players now i just remember the name of the team quant from quantic i spent something around ten thousand dollars for buyouts for those players. The last valuation as reported by like many sources for Cloud9 in 2018 was 300 million. So clearly like the economics and the visibility on the esports space has completely changed. And uh, honestly, the pay <laughs> for the players well, at that time was maybe 40, 50,000 a year for a really good playing, paying esports job. I've now have players and coaches that are, you know, they're all north of $500,000 a year um, on the big on the big teams. And so it's like it's, you know, the economics have completely shifted from that time. You know, I, I'd love to push on that point, just the, the thought of, you know, esports as a business right right now, globally, it's a billion dollar business. It's projected to grow, you know, north of 20 percent a year. You know, talk a little bit about the business side. So you've got players, you've got players with salaries and, and coaches. There's a training aspect to this. There's a performance aspect to this. Just educate the listener on some aspects of, of uh, Cloud9 as a business. If you look at our partners, our partners are Microsoft and BMW and Puma and Kaiser Permanente, and another six multi-billion dollars of revenue a year companies. The companies that want to associate with Cloud9 have these incredibly huge brand values, and their expectations on what they're buying are extremely high, and that and that we present ourselves in a way that they're you know that they can comfortably get behind. There's some really big expectations um, on how we present ourselves, and then our competition. They're all working extremely hard. They're extremely well-funded. Most of my competitors are owned by large traditional sports companies. So we see Madison Square Garden involved and, you know, I've, uh, and the Mets. And it is the, if you just base it, something like 80% of the teams now in the leagues that I'm involved with um, are traditional sports teams. So And they've got really incredible sales teams behind them. They've got incredible infrastructure behind them. And... I need to not only keep up with them, but I want to beat the crap out of these guys. I've had to level up. You know, I've, I now have data science teams that are literally scraping data out of these games to give us a competitive advantage. I have really credible seasoned sports psychologists, Gary, who runs our sports psychology department. He 
just recently, not even a year now, retired from the Navy and he was a psychologist doctor for the SEALs. And he applies what he learned on team building in the SEALs to our players and to make them a solid team. And we have incredible uh, strength trainers that uh, right now I'm in my shorts. I'm still sweating from the workout that we did with our with our strength trainer this morning and me and all our managers and all our players are working out, you know, every single morning before our scrims. We usually had chefs here making us food here inside our HQ, but because of the pandemic, we couldn't do that anymore. Um, so we have a private caterer who delivers like nutritious meals to us every single day. The pandemic changed everything. Like each in one of the locations where our teams live, like cleaning services, they actually live on site so that they're not going home and interacting with other people that live on site. The managers now live on site and we've got private catering feeding us. So trying to go through all the hoops to keep our players healthy and happy and confident has been also extremely difficult. Um, but, you know, we now have the resources to, to do that. And we put a lot of thought into making sure that not only are we happy and healthy, but we're super productive and we have an edge on all of our competition. Well, along the lines of, of, of COVID-19 and the pandemic and sports psychology, what are the teams feeling right now? How are they feeling? Well, they're used to these wonderful sold out venues with rock concert like applause and the like. So how has it changed for them and what are they feeling? I, I think we've done a really good job as far as like the actual play field um we've been able to like you know that there isn't a huge difference um of course the there is a, a bit of a letdown of not going to these really cool venues and interacting with a really large crowds so that's obviously disappointing but these are all really smart people they understand like and appreciate that you know we're lucky to be able to still compete when a lot of the other sports can't and you know we're just doing our best to continue to provide entertainment and and for our fans as well as provide fulfillment by being the best team here in North America. Yeah, you know, Jack. One of the things that surprised me as I looked at Cloud Nine was just the the range of different franchises that your players compete in. How do you decide which franchises to field a team around, even to the point of deciding, you know, to field a player for Super Smash Brothers Melee versus fielding a team in in Ultimate? How do you go through that process? But specifically with Smash, like we've been working with Mango forever, like since he's been with us for almost almost seven years, so six years now, I think. So there haven't been a lot of changes. When I picked him up, he was the best, and he's maintained to being one of the best for a really long time. But like in games like Valorant, which is brand new, we had we had a player named Tens who is clearly a super gifted FPS player, but he he tried out for our. Or, and actually got a job with our Counter-Strike team, but he didn't really fit in with the guys, you know, on a personal level and required basically more. The, the guys that he were on his team were seasoned veterans and he was very much a rookie. And so there was just, a, there was just a disconnect in, how, in understanding of the game, but we knew he was a superstar player. He just needed the right environment to grow in, but it wasn't here. So we kept him on our roster. He wanted to stay on our roster. And when I heard about Valorant coming, I was like, hey, is this a game that you'd be interested in, like, switching from Counter-Strike? Because I think you'd be good at it. And he, he was super excited. He's like, yes. And so we, we, we built what we'd done with Valorant is we found like a superstar that we thought like had a ton of potential and we just built a team of people that he felt like he would work really well with and and we've managed it really closely and we will see what the results of that will be we don't know but i can tell you 
And there was another game called Heroes of the Storm. We did something very similar where we took super high mechanical talented players from other similar games. And so we took a bunch of League of Legends pros that were super highly talented, but just weren't making it on League of Legends teams. We imported them essentially into Heroes of the Storm and we won two BlizzCons in a row, which is like the, the biggest event for Heroes of the Storm. And so actually think about it, like Heroes of the Storm, we won the first two world championships when they came out. Overwatch League, we won the first world championship when it came out. We've had a pretty good track record of doing well in new games. And we've kind of followed that methodology of finding really talented players that are maybe shining in, in other similar games and then bringing them into, into the new game. And, and, and Cloud9 is doing really well this year for League of Legends. Our League of Legends team? Yeah, we're the we're the number one team in North America and we're we had the most dominant season in the history of LCS last split and what's a really cool statistic is until that time the most two other most dominant splits were our spring or actually our summer 2014 but our uh, summer 2013 and spring 2014 were the two most dominant splits for the last seven years. And now our spring 2020 is the most dominant. So number one, number two, and number three, most dominant being the highest win percentage are now all cloud nine, which is really cool. That is cool. And, and one of the, you know, when I wrote about this, Jack, um, and this is the case with tons of countercultural movements, esports fans in League of Legends, and I think generally did not want their sport and their game to go mainstream. They kind of wanted it for themselves, and they were suspicious of interlopers coming in. And it, even when the story came out, many liked it, but then I was still subject to like a fair amount of bigoted uh, tirades uh, from some of the top YouTubers in the space at the time. So there was a Wild West aspect to it. As, and and, uh, and then, uh, this is mine aspect to it as well. So as esports has grown, has this changed? I think it's getting better, but it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's getting better, but uh, there is definitely some of it still out there. There's still like, there's still a lot of games that are kind of underserved. So there's still some of that out there, but in the biggest games like Overwatch League and League of Legends, it's pretty clean environment. Counter-Strike is still a bit of a wild, uh, wild region because Valve doesn't actually, you know, manage it. As a longtime executive, I enjoyed talking business with Jack. I admire the way he's directed Cloud9's growth over the last six years. And he's done it without partnering with a mammoth existing sports organization. Because of schedules, we had to interview Jack over a few different segments. In this segment, Jack has shared that he's not feeling all that well and he may have the COVID-19 virus. You can hear in his voice that he's trying to power through, but not feeling well. Harold picks up the conversation. I, I wish this was face-to-face -face because we've had such good talks in the past and it's been too long, but hopefully once this whole thing is done, uh, you know, maybe maybe I'll I'll, uh, I'll see you again. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too. I actually, unfortunately, I uh, on Wednesday or maybe it's Tuesday, I got a fever, and so I'm now self-isolating myself. Um, I feel like fine. I feel fine. I've gotten a COVID test. I'm waiting for the results. Um, so if I do have it, hopefully it's a mild one because I like honestly, like if I hadn't checked my temperature, like I wouldn't even really know I'm sick.
Um, so. Right, right. Is it high? Is it high? Is uh, it just a... It's bouncing between like 99 and 102. So it bounces between those temperatures. So it's it's high enough to like, you know, you know, at night I'm like, why am I sweaty? <laughs> you know, but it's not like high enough that I'm really uncomfortable. Oh man, I hope uh, I hope it uh, it goes away soon and it's not uh, it's not COVID. Yeah, me too. Um, uh, yeah, because you got stuff to do. Like that's the thing. Both of us, you know, we all have like jobs that are pretty much 24 hours a day. Yeah, so, that's so. the biggest annoyance is like not knowing and then like you know I have to stay away from my kid and my wife. I'm like I'm basically um, I'm you know. I'm stuck in my office and I'm not allowed out. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry to hear it, man. Um, so I mean, you know, we'll probably get to a little bit of COVID, but let's ask this first. Um, so I remember Cloud Nine's uh, League of Legends team is really on a roll this year, and it, is this team as good as High Lemon Sneaky Medios and Balls at their prime? How are they similar and how are they different? Um, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, I think I'm, I think I mentioned last time like the three most dominant splits in LCS history are all are all Cloud9 splits, um, with the most dominant by win percentage being our last this our very last split. Um, and um, so it's really kind of tough to say which team was like better because they were both incredibly dominant in their time. Um, I feel like um, High's team was, uh, a lot of their success just came from them naturally being just really good, smart players. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and although they, they did put in work, they don't have the same mind. They didn't have the same mindset that this current team has. And, um, uh, I feel like the mindset of this current team is much more sustainable so that, um, I wouldn't really say one team is more dominant than the other. I feel like the current team just has a, the proper mindset to keep winning for a long time where the last team was able to do it for two splits and that was it. Um, and uh, the other teams just caught up because they weren't putting in the work to stay ahead. And, and personality-wise, how do you compare the the two? I mean, I know there were, you know, there's always ups and downs with teams because they're five or six people together with coach and, you know, things go from week to week. But how would you compare their personalities? They, you know, they all have very different personalities and, and the way the way the team operated and, and individually. Um, and I loved that first team. It was so much fun. It really felt like a it felt like a family and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we had amazing heights. But with like this current team, we still have fun, but the expectation that we have on each other is much higher. Everyone expects them you know they need to bring they know that they need to bring more work to the table and they, they need to do their part and they expect all their teammates to work just as hard as they are and so there's a different feeling with the current team where they just you know they work hard because they feel they owe it to the team and they expect their teammates to bring the same thing and that's something that no other team I've had really had before. I mean, almost you can compare it to the, although the time is only like five, six years, you can almost compare the difference to the earlier days of football, maybe like a Green Bay Jerry Kramer. 
team to a, a Green Bay team today in the sense that in those five years, there's a lot more stats and figuring out of mental state and physical state than there, there perhaps was five, six years ago. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like, you know, um, we've grown up as an industry and as the industry has grown up to keep a competitive edge, Cloud9 has had to push harder than everybody else. It definitely goes, feels like going from a family business to to a major corporation where it's just it's just different and the same it's the same with cloud nine as a company too like it used just to be like me my wife and my dad like packing shirts and sending them but like the expectations and the requirements of the jobs have just grown so much and there's a there's a lot more people involved the expectations of our fans are much higher and expectations of, of our employees are much higher so it's just a very different situation and we have a lot more information to reflect on as well when we're making our decisions Right now, the audience has thrived on being there live in an auditorium setting. They're not able to attend events now, so we know the fans miss it. How much do you and also the players miss the fans? So um, this definitely feels like going back to our roots, like the, the current online tournaments. But before, and actually, I guess, you know, before Cloud9, I was at TSM and all of our events for the most part were were online, except we do four or five LAN events a year. With my current players, a lot of them don't have that perspective at all. You know, they they looked up watching LCS on stage as I grew up, and that their expectation is to be playing in front of an audience. So those guys, they definitely miss the excitement, drama, passion of like the the fans that they bring to a live event. And so, although when, winning this last split was very meaningful and, and definitely checked the box on, on, on a lot of things we were hoping for. They've expressed that they felt like an emptiness on not having the crowds to be in front of and to hear the audiences cheer. And so that, that's definitely disappointing. And I know the fans really like those events too. And I do hope we get to a world where those the, those things come back, but I'm, I'm not counting on it for a while. It's going to be a while, I think, um, and we, we all kind of pray for the day that this happens again because it's so, it's so exciting to be in the audience. So Cloud9 is valued by Forbes at between 300 and $400 million. Could esports survive and thrive without a live audience until we get a vaccine for COVID-19? And during that time, would the valuation take a hit? That's an interesting question. Like when I did this, my last capital raise and we completed it in 2018 i believe and like the valuations back then were like around the 300 to 400 mark i did that raise with the expectation that hey i think that there's a i think we're about to see a financial hit i expected it to be like in 2019 and i wanted to be able to write out any negative like uh, financial impacts that I could have while still being able to expand and take advantage of opportunities that were good. It took a year longer than expected. But the interesting thing that's happening right now is that I have multi-year partnerships with fantastic companies that aren't backing down on their marketing. So my sponsorships aren't going away and my viewership is high and it's going actually higher, I think, because people are stuck at home looking for events to watch. And my merchandise, I'm breaking records on sales like every single month. It's it's surprising and obviously, you know, I, I'm pleasantly surprising to see that, hey, we're we're still in business and we're still doing well. And I think a lot of it has been around that instead of like going into a bunker and just trying to like wait out like all the bad things that are going on is so we're really trying to engage with our fans um, digitally by having um, 
you know, digital like fan beats, viewing parties, events, and interactions with our fans, trying to make more products they can buy online since they can't go outside. And it's really generated an increased fandom and increased merchandise sales. Like our partners are really happy with what we're doing. We've been doing um, a lot of like digital meet and greets with like with fans of our partners and doing events with them digitally as well because they're trying to figure out how to interact with you know their people and it's been very positive so i'm feeling i'm feeling great about the future right now so um obviously there's a lot of bad things going on in the world but like financially speaking if i was just to look at just the books we're we're fine what would the ultimate success be for cloud nine it's an interesting question I have my own personal things that I want for out of the company. Uh, and then obviously like there's things that my investors and I obviously see like that are really good financially for the company and they're not always aligned. Me personally, like I just want to, I'm very interested in, in youth development and building really good programs around that and figuring out a way to interact with, with kids and teach kids how to be, you know, better teamsmanship and sportsmanship online and physically so that's something that's really important to me and i want to see that take off and us you know become a leader there i want to be dominant in every game that we're involved in we're doing great here regionally but we need to be doing better internationally so that's a huge goal for me those are things that are really important for me i think cloud9 as a company needs to find revenue sources that are outside of just like sponsorship and you know so we have our merchandise line but like I would like to find more revenue streams that just diversify how how we're getting money and and uh, so that just it just leads to more stable business. So that's you know that that's more goals for the company. It's important that you mention uh, youth getting involved, and that kind of leads into the next question. But even you know we the, the the purpose of this podcast is to raise money for our New York Video Game Critics Circle to mentor homeless students in the Bronx, and so I was doing that yesterday and there was uh, a bit of a tete-a-tete between two uh, young women who were playing a game and I said well the thing here is is to enjoy the game but be good gamers at the end and congratulate your competitor whether you won or lost that's the way we play here that's the way to do it and that's the way to continue in life generally so i i hear you man i think it's important yeah i think um it's like and i think you know the things that make a great cloud dine athlete will definitely resonate well with parents who are trying to teach this you know their kids good life skills which is you know getting to bed on time eating like proper nutritious food working out you daily being a good like teammate and by me by that like when they give you feedback like don't take it negatively to try to take like the learning points out of it and then when you give feedback you can give feedback without being a jerk and try to figure out how to 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 give feedback in a constructive method if you nail down those skills not only will you be a better teammate and a better team as a whole but you're you'll be really well equipped for success in life um, in january sneaky left the team but remains as an owner what does ownership status actually mean i mean I, I, I you're the main owner but is it like there are other owners and in that scenario sneaky gets a small piece of the ownership pie yeah i mean so he has the same type of equity that i have and so as cloud nine grows in value he'll be able to participate in any upside that that brings that's like the the like the major financial benefit to it 
So Sneaky is an advisor of Cloud9. And what that means is there are some, some duties that he'll have where he'll be coming to events. We'll be looking to... We had planned to have him come out to spring finals in Texas. So it was a total bummer that he couldn't come out because I thought, I think that people would have really loved that. And seeing him, you know, support the team, you know, at, at that historic like event would have been really special. And so that was super unfortunate. It was canceled. Uh, but the idea is that, you know, either, whether it be youth programs we do or, or other cloud nine events, uh, I want to have him involved and his involvement helps these events be more successful. So it's definitely like a win-win situation. Also, I think about Hive from time to time, and I know he's got his own thing going on, but do you think he's ever regretted selling the team? Does he still have a small portion of ownership? What do you think? With High, although he was like a, you know, one of the first players we signed, he was never an equity holder of Cloud9. He never, like, he wasn't an owner at Cloud9. He was just the first player we ever signed. And although he had a huge part, like, in the naming of the team and personality of the team, it wasn't something at the time that he was at all interested in being an owner of. I actually offered him, like, hey, do you want to have, like, um, some equity in this team? And he was... Like, hey, you know, I just really want to have uh, a dollar sign with more zeros behind it. <laughs> so to be frank, I, you know, show me the money, Jack. I, what is this equity stuff? I don't think he's ever regretted it because High always had his own vision of how he wanted to run things. I don't think he was ever comfortable to necessarily... I don't think he wanted to negotiate on how he wanted to do things. He saw things the way he wanted to do things. And, and, and I totally respect that because that's how I am too. So we're very similar in that. We both had our own ideas of how things should be run. And he's now has his own team, Radiance, that has its own sponsors and it's growing. And I think it's a really good brand. And I think it's more in line with what he was hoping for. So I don't think he really has regrets. Um, I've never asked him that, but I don't think he has any regrets because he's doing what he wanted to do without being beholden to anyone else. And I think that's what matters to him. Great. And um, I, I think you've dealt with this question a little bit, but how can gaming truly become more inclusive at all levels? Yeah, I, I mean, I think every company needs to look themselves in the eyes and figure out every day, like, hey, am I doing everything I can to make sure that I have an inclusive environment? And it's like, it's literally something like, especially with everything going on right now that I'm evaluating. You know, I think in our management, like non-pro player, you know, hires, we've done a really good job there. Um, not necessarily with like, hey, this is the our intent. It's just naturally happened. And I'm really proud of that. Been like that since the day one, because I know like when we, you know, when we go to like owners meetings, we definitely have a different look. But I feel like all the rest of the teams probably need to look at their own organization and make sure that they're actually doing everything they can there. For me, the most visible gap is really on the actual players themselves. And how can we make sure that everyone has an equal opportunity to to play? Jack, again, thank you so much for your candor and your time. And I, I hope you get well really soon. Oh, thanks. Uh, me too. I, I feel good. Hopefully results will show I'm good. <laughs> That's great, man. Well, th thanks again for taking the time and uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your time. Reggie, that was an insightful conversation indeed. And 
I hope Jack feels better really soon. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we've we've all been there, you know, trying to power through something. And uh, I really hope he, he gets better really, really soon. We learned a lot about Cloud9 and the drama behind the scenes of esports. And it was compelling stuff all around. Reggie, also compelling is the work of Mythical Games. And this week, we have news on Blanco's Block Party, Mythical's upcoming game that allows you to make money while playing. You can register your account at blancos.com for the chance to be part of an upcoming beta. Blanco's Block Party allows you to build the world you want, and the game gives you complete ownership of what you create. Also, you can collect and play with limited edition Blanco's digital vinyl toys. They're really cool and designed by top artists, including John Paul Kaiser and James Groman. Just as Mythical Games made a sponsoring donation to the podcast, we hope you yourself can donate at nygamecritics.com Reggie. Every $10 or more really helps us mentor underserved students. Finally, Reggie, we have two questions for you. Jade and Tien has been taking our journalism and games courses in the Bronx for a couple of years now, and she'll be a regular contributor to nygamecritics.com. Jade's going to be an excellent writer. Hello, my name is Jade, and a question I have for Reggie would be, what's something memorable your former employees will remember you by for the upcoming years? You know, Jade, that's a great question. And there are a lot of Reggieisms that I left behind at Nintendo. I still see colleagues from time to time, now via video conference more than in person. Uh, and I really do look forward to seeing them face to face sometime, hopefully in the very near future. And it's always fun to see the tidbits of Reggieisms that they're now exhibiting unconsciously. For example, when we would be having big discussions, I would always have three reasons from my point of view. And this is from my training at Procter & Gamble, where one or two reasons is never enough, but four or more is overkill. So the, the number was always three to support a direction or a decision. And also for my years of training, I always start a discussion with a simple question. What's the objective? It sets up any debate or discussion by focusing on the desired outcome. I love it when other people at Nintendo would pick up on this approach and do it too. But I'm most proud of the lasting legacy I left on the pursuit of diversity and inclusion at Nintendo of America. The, the work is predicated on one simple belief that we're made better by valuing the variety of backgrounds, experiences, and perspective of others. And uh, I'm just so proud of that. And, and it continues to live on this day. This question comes to us from Cedric Schmidt. Reggie, how are you impacted by Japanese working culture? And what did you appreciate about it the most? Cedric, thanks for that question. You know, I've done work throughout Asia before joining Nintendo. I was well experienced with the working cultures of China, Korea, and then obviously Japan during my time uh, over the last 15 years at Nintendo. Specifically dealing with that tenure, you know, Nintendo has its own unique culture. Part of it is because Nintendo is based in Kyoto, the old emperor's capital and not Tokyo. There's a story that I love about Kyoto craftsmanship. And what this means is that even back in the imperial days, the emperor of Japan would buy the porcelain and the linen from Kyoto craftsmen 
because it was known throughout the country to be the very best. And that culture continues to permeate Nintendo, their maniacal focus on quality. There's a wonderful quote attributed to Mr. Miyamoto, and it's that a game is late once, but a bad game is bad forever. And it just highlights the way Nintendo thinks about the product, the way they think about quality. uh, And that really stems from the roots of the company being in Kyoto. And then obviously Nintendo also focuses on fun. And it's not just the software content, but it's the marketing content, the social media content. And I can truly say that the, the time I spent there was really grounded in having a lot of fun. Thanks for the question. Well, that's game over for another episode of Talking Games with Reggie and Harold. We hope you enjoy these programs. And if you do, please donate at nygamecritics.com slash Reggie. Talking Games with Reggie and Harold is produced and edited by Annie Payne. It's written by me. Annie Nguyen is our project manager. John Ezzelona is our designer. Whitney Mears and Ahmad Khan help with social media. And our music was written by Emmy and Grammy winner Anton Sanko. We'll see you next week with our technology-oriented episode. It includes Cherie Smith, the editor-in-chief of Laptop Magazine and a Circle member, and Jacob Navok, the CEO of Genvid. Genvid is changing the nature of the way we interact with streaming. I've seen it in action myself, and it's compelling. And this just in, we'll also have former Circle member Evan Narses, who's been writing for games, including the upcoming Spider-Man for the PS5. Until Reggie and I see you next week, stay well and protest safely.